Welcome to The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina. Today, you are going to learn how to outsmart emotional eating and live a life of happiness and joy without giving up the foods you love. Now, here is Dr. Nina. Hi there. Welcome to The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina. I'm your host, Dr. Nina Savelle Rocklin. I'm a psychoanalyst, and I am here to help you liberate yourself from emotional eating, take back control of your life, and feel good in your body, all without dieting, spending hours in the gym, or counting a single macro. So today's topic is the five secrets to creating a binge-free, happy life. And let's just take a moment and talk about liberation. It was just the 4th of July holiday here in the United States. It is a day when we celebrate independence and liberation, which means being set free. And you know what? You can liberate yourself from binge eating, stress eating, any kind of emotional eating. Liberation is freedom. It is the freedom to eat whatever you want without worrying about gaining weight, the freedom to stop thinking about food all the time, and the freedom to eat in front of people without worrying about being judged or judging yourself. So if you're fed up with binge eating or emotional eating, if you feel a lot of guilt or shame, or both around food, if food consumes all your thoughts and energy, and if you think you'll never have control, I'm here to tell you that food freedom is possible. And it is possible without doing all the things you might think you need to do. Again, without dieting, without thinking about good food or bad food, without eliminating carbs from your diet or spending hours working out, you don't need to do any of those things. In fact, dieting and focusing on food only makes things worse. I know this because I have been there. Not only do I treat people who struggle, but I have been there myself. I am free and I created the Binge Cure Method because I want to help you too. So I'm going to share my story as this is the first episode of the Binge Cure here on uh, Voice America. And then I'm going to give you my five secrets to creating a binge-free, happy life. So back when I was a brand new therapist, I started a group for women with binge eating disorder. And it was my first day. I was super nervous. And I walked in and this one woman, she had like, let, let me set the stage for you. She had like a bright red hair. She was a lot older than me. She was a little scary the way she looked at me was slightly terrifying. She looked me up and down and she said, what does a skinny bitch like you know about binging? What she didn't know was I once considered myself the poster child for eating disorders. What I said was this skinny bitch once scarfed down an entire box of gingerbread cookies in about 15 minutes flat. And I hate, hate, hate gingerbread, but I couldn't stop eating those cookies. So I told the group that when I was five years old, I came to believe that if I were thinner, I'd somehow be better. And that was the beginning of my obsession with my weight and with food. And when I look back at my teenage journals, every page is filled with numbers, calories I ate, calories I burned, the weight I was, the weight I was going to be someday after the next diet. I was always on some crazy restrictive diet and eventually my willpower would fail and I would eat the kitchen and sometimes I'd purge 
That's why I was the poster child for eating disorders. I had all of them. In college, I finally went to therapy for anxiety. I talked about guys and goals and dreams and fears and family and, you know, all the things. I was open with my therapist about every part of my life except one. I never told her what was going on with food. I was too ashamed of what I was doing. I was too mortified. No one knew the truth, not even my therapist. But by the time I left therapy, all my eating disorder behaviors were gone for good, gone, no more. And not once, not a single time had I told my therapist what was really going on with food. So how is this possible? Well, I learned that food wasn't actually the problem. It was the solution to the problem. The real problem was how critical I was to myself, how harsh I was. I was I was turning to food to just escape my own mean voice. And my therapist helped me see that I was really hard on myself. I was a perfectionist. Nothing I did was ever good enough. On some level, I thought if I were just skinnier, I'd be good enough. But in therapy, I started being nicer to myself. Instead of being critical, I was curious. I was kind. Instead of tearing myself down, I encouraged myself. I stopped being the poster child for eating disorders because I turned my inner critic into a friend. I am living proof that it is possible to liberate yourself from binge eating. Oh, and by the way, why at age five had I suddenly thought I was too big? Well, my parents are college professors and they're very academic and low key. And they were always telling me things like, you're too loud, you're too dramatic, you're too emotional, you're too sensitive. So the message was, oh, you're just too much for us. And my five-year-old mind took that literally on some level, as if I were physically too much. And if there were less of me, somehow maybe then I'd be more acceptable and lovable. So later I became a therapist because I wanted to help other people stop the obsession and the madness over food, weight, and body image. And now I'm a psychoanalyst specializing in binge eating disorder. I'm the author of four books and I coach people all over the world using my binge cure method. And I am doing this show because I wanna help you too. It is time to take your power away from food and get your life back with these five steps. Okay, so the first step is to stop dieting. Now, maybe you have a lot of hope and optimism when you go on a diet. Maybe eventually you actually lose weight on that diet, but sooner or later you will go off that diet, then you feel guilty, you end up beating yourself up for having gone off the diet, and then you eat all the foods you've been depriving yourself of, plus more, which leaves you feeling so much shame. And then you go on another diet, hopeful that this time will be different, but it's not. And before you know it, you are back in that diet binge cycle again and again and again, rinse and repeat. So if this is familiar to you, I want to tell you, you're not weak. You're not a failure. You're just stuck. And that has nothing to do with willpower or being addicted to food. Diets don't help you stop binging or emotional eating because they focus on what 
you're eating and not why. And there are and they're also about de deprivation, right? We 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 always want what we think we cannot have. So there are many reasons that you may be turning to food is if you're turning to food, you're turning away from something else. And those reasons are often rooted in our hidden minds. So food may seem as if it has power over you, that, but that's because you haven't identified those root causes. Dieting fails you because you're trying to solve the wrong problem. The way out is to stop focusing on what you're eating and start identifying what's eating at you or why you're eating. And sometimes that's really hard to figure out. So let me tell you about Jenna, not her real name. One night, Jenna was relaxing and watching TV when suddenly, as she put it, Ben and Jerry's started calling her name. That's how she said it, like calling my name. She said nothing was wrong. She wasn't upset or worried about anything. She said she was addicted to ice cream, addicted to Chunky Monkey. So I asked what she'd been watching on TV before Ben and Jerry started calling for her. It was a rerun of Charmed, her favorite show. So since she was doing something she enjoyed, there was no reason, or so she thought, that she'd wanted down a pint of ice cream. I wondered, well, what was going on in the episode? Well, it was when a demon comes down, breaks the bond between the sisters. They start fighting. It gets really nasty. I said, huh, hmm, sisters fighting, huh? And Jenna got it. She said, oh, my gosh, I see what happened. Because in that moment, she realized what had happened. She had a terrible relationship with her sister. So watching the show activated intense anxiety about their relationship and other feelings. But before she was consciously aware that she was being triggered by the show, she went to ice cream for comfort and distraction. Ice cream wasn't the problem. It was the solution to the problem. The problem was Jenna's difficulty uh, expressing her feelings about her relationship with her sister and her difficulty comforting herself and coping with the situation. So I helped Jenna find new ways of identifying her emotions and soothing herself. And guess what? Ice cream stopped calling her name. Jenna is living proof that change is possible. You really can go from feeling powerless over food to eating normally. And her story also shows how our deepest emotions can be hidden from us. She wasn't aware of why she was being drawn to ice cream. She, she thought the problem was ice cream. It was hidden from her. Yet those hidden triggers are, are the reason often that we are eating. So like Jenna, a lot of us think we are triggered by food, triggered by ice cream, chocolate, whatever. I'm here to tell you, no, we are not triggered by food. We are triggered by a situation that we can't see or possibly don't want to look at. Now, I help people identify the hidden why they're eating. And that is a crucial first step to change. And that's where step two comes in, which is cracking the code to emotional eating. Now, I want you to take a moment and think about your last craving. Did you want something smooth like, like ice cream or a smoothie? 
or yogurt, something smooth and creamy, or filling like pizza or cake, or maybe you grab that last bag of chips. So what does this all mean? Well, in all the years that I've been helping people with eating issues, I started noticing some patterns. No matter what their age, their gender, their ethnicity, when it came to cravings, they were drawn to three basic categories of food, smooth and creamy foods like ice cream or pudding or yogurt, whatever, filling foods, bread, pasta, pizza, cake, muffins, that kind of thing, or crunchy foods like like chips or crackers. What does it all mean? When we crave ice cream or something creamy, it isn't ice cream we really want. It's comfort. So the key to change is finding new ways to comfort yourself that don't involve eating. And the second category is filling. Those foods take up space within us. And that is related to symbolically filling a void. Instead, let's take a look at the holes in your life, the empty spaces, and find new ways to fill them. Last is crunchy textures. Now, anything that makes us bite down hard is associated with forms of anger. Um, and and when, when, when I say anger, it could be a range of different things. It could be annoyance, frustration, irritation, rage. These are all forms of anger. And instead, you have to learn to express anger in a healthier way with words. And what about chocolate? Where does that come in? Well, some of us only like milk chocolate. I would be one of those someones. Uh, or chocolate with creamy centers. Others won't eat chocolate if it doesn't have nuts. And plain dark chocolate usually has a bit of a crunch. So chocolate is either creamy associated with comfort or crunchy associated with forms of anger. Also, and if this applies uh, to you with maybe you're thinking, I just like candy. I like Twizzlers or you know whatever. Um, if candy is your thing, maybe you need more sweetness in your life. Not the kind that comes from sugar, but the sweetness of connection fulfillment, and love. This is my food mood formula secret, which I have just shared with you. So now you know the secret. And keep in mind, by the way, that eating some chips with your sandwich is not the same thing as eating a whole family size uh, bag of Doritos and hating yourself with every bite. The food mood formula only applies to situations where you feel a pull towards food to change the way you emotionally feel. So next time you get a craving, consider if it is for something creamy, filling, or crunchy, or sweet. When you identify and respond to those underlying needs, emotions, wishes, conflicts, you stop eating to cope. And what I just shared is a tool that helps you discover your hidden why. And once you have clarity on that, you can address that directly. So step number three, the next step is to learn to soothe without food. As you can see, as you can see, what you're eating isn't even the real problem, right? Let's talk about the real problem. We live in a society that says, mm, it's not okay to have emotions. We're considered weak if we have them and strong if we push them away. So if you're scared, oh, be strong, fight, don't give in to fear. 
If you're angry, oh, you're an angry person. You need anger management classes. If you're sad, oh, you must be depressed. Take an antidepressant. If you're anxious, hey, there's a there's a pill for that too. The message is there is something wrong with feelings. And of course, many people do benefit from medication. I'm not against medication per se. I'm talking about injunctions against our basic human emotions that connect us to ourselves and to each other. And with all these prohibitions, it is no wonder so many of us don't know how to comfort ourselves, don't know how to be with ourselves or express ourselves or respond to ourselves. No wonder so many of us eat as a way of coping. Yet when we find other ways of coping, everything changes for good. So instead of um, instead of stuffing down your emotions, you got to learn to express them. Here's the thing. Emotions get a bad rap and it, it, or rep, which is it? Maybe both. Uh, emotions are seen as a bad thing in our society, but really they're just reactions to situations. They are not character flaws. If you're upset about something, you're a person who's upset. You're a person who's angry. You are not an angry person. There is a difference. Now, people who are responding all the time with anger, they might be an angry person, but they might also be covering up something vulnerable with anger. So instead of uh, personalizing it and saying, oh, I don't want to be an angry person, pay more attention to what's bothering me, what's making me upset. Your emotions need your attention, not your condemnation. Now that sounds simple, right? But it is not, because many of us don't know how to feel our feelings and express ourselves. So you got to start by putting words to your emotions. And by the way, use the food mood formula to help you identify what it is that's going on. So you can say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm mad because um, uh, of, of all the, 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 the terrible things that are going on in the world right now. I'm really mad that we can't find a solution or, you know, or I'm sad because of that, or I'm, I'm sad that so many people are suffering or I'm sad that I'm suffering or I'm really happy that I just got to spend 4th of July with my family. That made me so happy. Or I'm anxious because I spent 4th of July with my family. And oh. whatever it is, like the because is really important. Think of it as um, situation, emotion, translation. This situation happened. I felt this because it means that. Uh, it's really important to just speak your truth without judging it and just share it with, with yourself in, in a journal to a friend. Anyway, what you feel, you will heal. You have to express it. You can't ignore your feelings. You can't drop them. You can't positive think them away. And you certainly cannot stuff them down. The only way to get rid of feelings is to actually feel them and express them. And remember Practice makes progress. And this is how you manage stress, resentment, sadness, anger, anxiety, everything else. Have to, you have to learn how and how to just, I, you identify it, you express it, and then you respond to yourself.
Um, all right. So the next secret is to activate self-love. That's secret number four. So take a moment, take a moment and think about a friend of yours, someone you really care about deeply or a child or your partner, someone you love. Now, imagine that person is upset. Would you say, oh, you're upset. Okay, look, I know just what to do. I got you. The ice cream's in the freezer. The chips are in the pantry. We can order pizza. I don't think so. Probably not. I hope not. I think you'd probably be helpful, supportive, interested, right? The goal is to treat ourselves the same way. But first, we have to identify that inner critic. In order to activate self-love, we've got to identify the critical part of it and see it as critical and not as just you. So many people tell me, well, I'm not being critical. I'm, I'm just motivating myself. If I were nice to myself, I, wouldn't, I, I would never do anything. No. You wouldn't motivate anyone else in a critical way. Oh, no, they say. No, that would be harsh. So why do you think it's harsh if you motivate, quote unquote, motivate other people by being harsh with them, but somehow it's appropriate for you. No. Motivation is encouraging. You know, discouraging yourself is not motivating. And by the way, as an example, I like to give examples. I should tell you that all the names that I use when I give examples, these are not the, the person's real name. Uh, so let me tell you about Becca. She started every day looking in the bathroom mirror and making a face at herself, a face of disgust. And she would say to her reflection, you are disgusting. You are disgusting. So I asked her to repeat that in I language, as in I am disgusting. And you know what? She couldn't. She said it sounded too harsh. And she was exactly right, because using the pronoun you when we're talking to ourselves often means our inner critic is in charge of our thoughts. So if you ever say anything to yourself like you're not good enough, you're going to fail. They don't like you. That is your inner critic talking. It makes us feel bad and then worse. And you can't simultaneously make yourself feel bad and make yourself feel good. Those things cannot happen at the same time. So what happens when we feel bad, we may turn to food just to escape our own mean voice. Instead, take your own side. Ask yourself, okay, what's going on with me right now? What do I need right now? What am I feeling? Tell yourself, I'm capable. I've got this. I'm perfectly imperfect. I like me. Changing the way we talk to ourselves is extremely powerful. Now, Becca started being kinder to herself. And guess what? Food stopped having power over her. She stopped binging and she got her life back, a better life than before. And when she looks in the mirror now, she radiates beauty, vibrancy, and confidence from the inside out. Being kind to ourselves is also not just the words we say, but the way we say them. Let me give you another example. Sam. Sam tried talking to himself and it didn't work. He said, 
that he used all the right words, but it didn't help or change anything. It just didn't do anything at all. So I asked Sam to repeat exactly what he had said in the same way that he had said it. And he said in a very flat and unemotional voice, this is hard, but I'm going to get through it. I'll be okay. Okay. He sounded like he was at a funeral or something. No wonder he didn't feel better. Would you, would you say that to a friend? Oh, this is hard, but you're going to be okay. No, not so much, right? That's, that's not helpful. So uh, uh, the same words can sound completely different when you use a different tone. And I asked him to use a kind and reassuring tone. This is hard, but I'm going to get through it. I'm going to be okay. A soothing tone can feel like a verbal hug. So after practicing this way of responding to himself, and yes, it takes practice, practice makes progress, Sam noticed a huge shift. He had never been able to keep Oreos in the house without eating all of them. And if he only had a few, and he, and, and he told himself, I only have a few, he would just keep going back for more Oreos. The Oreos tortured him, and he would inevitably have the whole box of Oreos. And one day, after being nicer to himself, he realized he'd forgotten he had Oreos in the pantry and they had been there for weeks, literally weeks. When Sam started being nicer to himself, food stopped being a problem. He stopped binging and he felt as if he were living, living, not existing. He was living more. He was having more fun again. And the same will happen for you too. When you change the way you talk to yourself, Food will stop having power over you and you will get your life back. I promise you that. It may seem impossible, but like I, I say a lot, progress, uh, practice makes progress. Just work on encouraging yourself and being kind to yourself and talking to yourself as you would talk to someone you love. It, and think about what happens with babies when they are first learning to walk and they fall down. What happens? Do we say, oh, that baby fell? Well, that baby is never going to walk. <sighs> baby, you're a failure. You're a failure at walking. No, we do not say that. We say, good step, baby. You can do, do it again. Get up. Keep going. Right? We encourage those babies. We don't say, Oof, that's it. <laughs> Baby's a failure. So we have to have that same attitude towards ourselves encourage yourself and you will do better. So uh, we're about to take a break. Uh, we've just talked about how to you know, stop dieting, how to crack the code of emotional eating, how to soothe without food and activate self-love. When we come back, I'm going to talk about the, the, how to disrupt guilt and shame and then a couple of bonuses for you. Um, uh, so it's actually the seven steps to, to create a binge-free happy life. I'll be back in just a little bit and um, stay tuned. Follow Voice America at facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Are you tired of the endless cycle of dieting and binging? Ready to break free from emotional eating and regain control of your life? Look no further than The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina, the transformative radio show that will empower you on your journey to food freedom. Dr. Nina is here to guide you every step of the way. 
Join her as she delves into the true causes of binge eating, uncovers hidden triggers, and gives you effective strategies for lasting change. With practical tips and inspiring stories of transformation, The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina will help you nurture a healthier mindset, embrace self-compassion, and rediscover your true self. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina. Have questions for Dr. Nina? Join her on the show at 866 472 5792. That's 866 472 5792. Now back to the show. Welcome back. So today we are talking about the five secrets to creating a binge-free, happy life. We talked about how important it is to stop dieting, how to crack the code to emotional eating, how to soothe without food, and how to activate self-love. And now I want to discuss the fifth secret, which is how to disrupt guilt and shame. A few weeks ago, I was at a restaurant sitting near a group of women and I could overhear everything that they were saying. I was waiting for my friend. And one of them said that she was going to be good and order salad because she'd been so bad earlier in the day and she had pizza for lunch. <gasps> she felt so bad about this. She fe- she felt bad about herself. Clearly, it was like she had committed a food crime. It is hard to feel good about ourselves if our worth comes from what we choose to eat. Uh, let's face it. Society tells us that that eating is tied to morality. We're good when we eat salad and we're bad when we eat pizza. But really? So feeling guilty or ashamed for what you're eating or how much you weigh can be a distraction from a deeper sense of guilt or shame about yourself or other areas of your life. Let me also explain the difference between guilt and shame. So guilt is about something that you did or didn't do. It references behavior and actions. We feel guilty when we think we've done something wrong or when we've chosen not to take action. So guilt sounds like, oh, I did something really bad. I feel bad, I did something bad. Shame, however, is about who you are as a person. Is about your essential character. So shame is, is associated with secrecy and it leads to isolation because shame sounds like 
oh, there's something really bad about me. Shame is a pervasive sense that there's something wrong with you. Your very being is somehow wrong and unlikable and unlovable and bad. And so often we beat ourselves up for not being perfect, whatever that is. Perfect as far as I, I, I don't know. I don't know any I don't know any perfect people. We're all perfectly imperfect, but we feel guilty or ashamed when we indulge in our our favorite foods because we're not eating perfectly or when we fall off the diet wagon and go on a binge or just eat something that's on our forbidden food list. But what if we could challenge this basic notion that we should feel guilty or ashamed for eating? What if instead we could learn to view food as something that is just, you know, what we're eating. And uh, if if it's not tied to your self-esteem. So self-esteem is one of the most important things when it comes to our relationship with food. If we have healthy self-esteem, we're more likely also to make choices that are good for us um, physically and emotionally. When we feel good about ourselves, we're less likely to turn to food for comfort And when we don't feel good about ourselves, we're more likely to emotionally eat, binge eat, or or do other unhealthy behaviors. In some ways, we're trying to escape ourselves. So the next time you beat yourself up for something you ate, try to step back and remember uh, that eating pizza doesn't make you bad. It is simply a food choice. It doesn't mean you're not worthy of love and respect. You are worthy of taking care of yourself, both physically and emotionally. And when you make choices that are good for you, uh, you you feel good. And ultimately, it's about, hey, I want to do this for myself rather than I'm breaking a rule that I've created or that society has created. Often, we feel guilty about certain things in our lives, but they are forbidden. We can't even think about that or we feel shame. So we we displace guilt over one thing to another. Uh, for example, that same group, that same group that I told you about where the woman asked, what does a skinny bitch like you know about binge eating? There was another woman in the group who throughout the, the whole time we did the group, I think it was a, an eight week group, maybe 12 weeks, anyway, time limited. She insisted that she just liked food too much and that if she could just lose 20 pounds, her life would be better and that nothing was bothering her. Everything was fine. Her problem really was, uh, you know, her weight and and what she was eating. So she would feel terribly guilty about, uh, you know, going off of her diet because she refused to go off of her diet. And then on the last day of the group, okay, the last day of the group, 20 minutes before the end of the last day of the group, she said, you know, I think if I weren't feeling guilty about my weight or if I didn't feel guilty or or ashamed of, of how I look or what I ate, she said she thought she would feel guilty because she'd, she, she would want to leave her husband. Right? So instead of feeling guilty or all kinds of feelings about her marriage, she displaced that into guilt over food. And she recognized it just when the session was over. So she didn't really have to delve into it. I hope that she did. I I don't know. But that is an example of how we displace um, certain feelings in certain areas onto food and ourselves. 
another example is getting angry at ourselves. You know, if you can't be mad at your boss or or your your kids or your partner or your best friend, that's somehow not acceptable. Uh, you might get mad at yourself for eating something. I remember people. Let me let me think of an example. Someone who came in and said, you know. Oh, I'm so mad with my husband. He is such a slob. No matter what, he can't put his clothes away. I'm sick of picking up after him. And I started to talk to her about her feelings. And then she said, but you know what? No, you know what? That's not even a thing. She's like, you know what I'm really mad about? I ate two bagels for breakfast. That's what I'm mad about. No, she was actually mad that her husband was a slob, but she had conflict about that. It was a lot easier for her to displace that, feel guilty over bagels than guilty over being upset with her husband. Because in her mind, if you're upset with your husband, there's a problem in your marriage. If there's a problem in your marriage, you're going to get a divorce. And you get a divorce, her Catholic family was going to be very, very upset with her. So like, it was almost like she had no room to ever have an upset feeling except with herself. She felt guilty about food, but no, she felt guilty about a lot of other things. So as you can see, it's really important to be curious. When you free yourself of judgment and self-consciousness, you live life on your own terms. You stop labeling food and yourself as good or bad. And that feels amazing. Okay, since we have some extra time, now that I've shared my my five secrets to creating a binge-free life, I'm going to give you bonus secrets. Okay, so here's here's bonus secret number one. Um, it's about stopping the sabotage. Does this happen to you? Does this sound familiar? You 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 finally see results. You've been working out. You've been making healthy choices, not by dieting. You've been kinder to yourself. You or you're dieting, whatever. In this scenario, it works either way. The scale is moving in the right direction, and your clothes are feeling a little looser, and you are so close to your goal weight. And then something happens. You binge on ice cream, or cookies, or cake, or pizza, or whatever. And you can't understand why you are doing this, but deep down, you know, this isn't the first time this has happened. In fact, every time you get close to your ideal weight, you start binging again. So what's going on? It's not about willpower. It's not about control. It's not about food addiction. One of the main reasons we sabotage our success is fear. Fear of happiness. Yes, happiness. Fear of success fear of change. We become comfortable with feeling uncomfortable because at least then we know what to expect. So even though our current situation may not be ideal, it's familiar and familiarity again is safe. And deep down, we may also not feel like we deserve to be happy and feel good in our lives and in our bodies. We may not believe that we're good enough. And this lack of self-esteem can lead us to self-sabotage in a lot of different areas of our lives, not just weight loss or health. So if you repeatedly sabotage your success, it's time to take a good look at yourself and your beliefs about what you're allowed to experience in this world. Because when you identify the root cause of the self-sabotage, you can break free of it. And uh, I mentioned fear of happiness. Believe it or not, 
this is the, one of the most common things that I see uh, in people in, all over the world, fear of happiness, some association to if I, if things go well for me, then something bad is going to happen. And our culture really reinforces that, doesn't it? It's, oh, waiting for the other shoe to drop. By the way, can anyone tell me what that actually refers to? Why does the what what is this other shoe? And where is it dropping from? And why has it come to mean that something bad is going to happen now that something good has happened? Please enlighten me. I would love to know. Okay. You can you can you can visit my website, Dr. Nina Inc. D-R-N-I-N-A-I-N-C.com, and you can contact me through that or you can find me on social media. Please, someone tell me. I, I need to know. Um, so so we have all these cultural uh, ideas that, that oh, it was c- too good to be true. Um, the rug's going to be pulled out from underneath us. So there's this idea that just when things get good, just when you feel good, something bad will, ha- will happen. Therefore, if you always feel a little bit bad in your body, you control the bad thing that's happening in, in, in your life. If you feel good, something could happen out of the blue. You could be standing on a rug and not realizing it, and someone else can yank it out from underneath you. If you never step into paradise, you can never be kicked out of it. So fear of happiness means being afraid that if things get, quote unquote, too good, something terrible is going to happen, and you're keeping yourself safe by not letting yourself get too happy. And then this is reinforced because we create this narrative of, well, that I was happy then. And then this bad thing happened and we and and we justify our narrative uh, and and then we find different situations that fit our narrative. Oh, see these five times when I was feeling good and something bad happened. See, clearly something bad always happens after something good. The universe is is out to get me. The problem is this this is a narrative that uh, we reinforce by by seeing a pattern that may not be there because the same pattern also is, hey, just after something bad happens, something good happens because you know it's good, bad, good, bad, good, bad. If you see it as good, then bad, good, then bad. Well, you're never going to be allowing yourself to feel good. If you see it as something bad happens, but then something good happens, bad, good, bad, good. Um, that's a different narrative. We have this because we used to need to to see patterns. Our ancestors needed to say, oh, that big, scary paw print, that is associated with an animal that wants to eat us. So we're going to look for that pattern. That pattern means danger. So we no longer need to look at patterns for survival, but we still make them and then we have confirmation bias that where we 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 confirm our own narrative and then it goes on and on so really look at what are your ideas about you deserving good also some people think on some level they don't deserve to feel too good there's something not quite right about them or or they're not they're not they're not good enough something along those lines so if if that resonates with you Look at where did you learn that uh, you are not good enough and you don't deserve happiness? You don't deserve to feel good. When you can 
identify the roots to this idea, you can you you can dig out the roots. It's gone for good. You can allow yourself to um, have a good, happy life. Be happy without being scared that something bad is going to befall you. And that is really liberating, isn't it? Um, you know, I actually what? Okay, I'm thinking. I'm thinking aloud. All right. So my my next my next bonus um, uh, secret is. It really is important to create a, a roadmap for your dream life, for the life you want to have. It's often said that the first step to achieving what you want is creating a vision of that. What does that really mean? It's important to have clarity and specificity when you set goals. That means having a really clear idea of what you want in every area of your life, from your career to finances, to your relationships, your health, all the things. Once you know what you want and what you don't want, you can start creating a path to get there. Now, we know when we create a new path, the journey is not always easy. But if you keep focused and if you keep going, anything is possible. And here's the thing about dieting again. The diet industry sells us this illusion that if we just lose weight, if we just get to that magical number on the scale, we're going to have that dream life. If we're shy and we lose weight, we're going to be outgoing. If we don't have a lot of friends, oh, we're going to have this huge, fabulous circle. It'll be like we're in Friends or How I Met Your Mother. It'll be fantastic. It, the idea, the illusion is by losing weight, you gain the life you want. By losing weight, you actually change your personality. <laughs> by losing weight, you change your life. This is a very compelling illusion. That's why it's a $60 billion diet industry. But it is an illusion. Because you know what happens when you lose weight? You are still you. The problems you have. The life you have, the things that are going on with you, they still exist. You just are in a smaller body. That's all. Nothing changes. Yeah, maybe you're going to feel confident for a little while, but it doesn't last. And eventually you just realize, oh, I still have the same problems. It's like, uh, what is it called? Pulling a geographic, thinking that if you move to a different city or country, that you're going to have a different life. The problem is, that all your problems just follow you wherever you go. So it, it, it's really hard to swallow, I guess, pardon the expression, uh, that, that it's, it's really hard to metabolize this idea that, no, you can't create a different life by changing your weight. The only way that you can create a different life is by creating a different life and taking some time to think about, you know, what do you really want? What are your deepest desires? What are your goals? Once you have an idea of what you're striving for, you can start visualizing it. So imagine your ideal life. What does your day look like? Who are the people in your life? What's your job? What do you do for fun? Think about what you'll feel like, what you'll, what you'll have, where you'll live in this ideal life. What new habits will you be incorporating? When you create it, you can watch yourself sort of grow into that life as opposed to thinking it will magically appear if you shrink yourself. Um, 
So example, Tabitha, she went from self-loathing to self-confident. She thought that once she stopped binging and lost weight, she would feel great, she would be happy, and everything would be right in the world. If only. (laughs) Well, she stopped binging, she lost weight, and then nothing changed but the number on the scale. Again, the diet industry sells us the illusion that making peace with food will bring us deep happiness. Actually, not even making peace with food, just losing weight. And it's a lot of fun to lose weight, get new clothes, all the things. It feels really good to stop binging. What a relief to not think about food all the time. It's fantastic. It's wonderful. It's great to shop for that new wardrobe, whatever it is. But you know what? With Tabitha, even after she got to her ideal weight, she still felt lonely and she still felt unfulfilled in her job. So this is what she did. She joined a dating app. She started meeting people. She took some online courses and she totally pivoted in her career. And while she has not yet met the man of her dreams, she is now in a satisfying job. She's much, much happier and she's enjoying dating. Is this possible for you? Yes, it is. It absolutely is. You just need the right guidance and some accountability. And remember, if you can, if you can imagine it, you can create it. So think about what you want your days to look like and feel like. That is a huge step towards changing your life. It really is possible to ditch dieting, stop thinking about food 24-7, and banish binging so you can get back to living your life, not existing it, and white-knuckling it through every day, thinking, I will not eat the cookies, while being healthy, right? Healthy in mind, healthy in body, healthy in spirit. Um, all right, you know, I mentioned good enoughness, and I... I, I want to talk about that a little bit because it's really important to break free from this not good enough mindset that a lot of people have. We all have moments when we question our worth, we question our abilities, but for some of us, that 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 way of thinking is a constant. Um, maybe we feel we're not smart enough to excel in our career or, or try a career or make a change in our lives or we're not, you know, we're not cool enough to be in a relationship or fit enough to be attractive or we're just not meeting our own expectations of ourselves or, or the expectations of others around us. The not good enough feeling is a pervasive um sense of not being good enough. And even when you ace a project at work or, or you help someone or you meet a challenge, you still think you haven't done enough. Um, something about you isn't good enough. And that pesky voice in your head that doesn't let you fully acknowledge or enjoy your accomplishments, that voice is the cause of the, the, good, the not good enough feeling. Um, so what causes this? There are many reasons. It might be Experiences in the past when you were constantly criticized or belittled that can have a lasting effect on your self-esteem. It could also be social or cultural pressures that set unrealistic standards of success, social media um, or beauty or perfection or or anything that, that makes you feel like if you're not there, you're not good enough. And for some people it's perfectionism Um uh, that they, they set such high expectations for themselves that they're almost impossible to meet. So both internal and external factors can make you feel like you're you're not good enough. So it's really important to identify 
Like, what is the trigger to this not good enough feeling? Um, and you can start by by keeping a log. Like, think about like when you have a dip in your self-esteem, when you have that feeling of, oh, I'm not good enough. Just think, where were you? What time of day was it? What, what were you doing? Who were you with? What thoughts were going on in your mind? Um, and you will start noticing some patterns. Maybe you feel insecure or self-conscious when you're around a certain group of people or when you're working on something that challenges you. Again, journal it. It's a really good way of keeping track and identifying the triggers. Um, and once you identify the triggers, then you can uh, uh, do something about it. You can either avoid them or challenge your thinking around them. And one of the things that's very pervasive and the not good enough feeling is negative self-talk. Like I said before, the, our critical voice, when we say, oh, you know, I'm, I, you know, you're, you're not good enough. They don't like you. You, you're going to fail. You're, you suck. You're, you're disgusting. Like Becca said, uh, that, that voice just makes you feel diminished and not good enough that. So you got to really be paying attention of the part of you that is constantly denigrating yourself or making yourself feel bad. That harsh critic internally which you learned from somewhere, most likely, but that that harsh critic that is now inside, that is the part of you that is driving so much of these emotional eating behaviors, binge eating, you know, even stress eating. You're stressing yourself out with this mean self-talk. Um, so really, really, if, uh, if you take one thing away from today's show, really focus on identifying and challenging that inner critic because that inner critic is not your friend, it is your foe. So thank you so much for joining me here on The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina. I'm here every Thursday at noon Pacific on Voice America. And if you want a deeper dive into this topic, be sure to get your copy of my best-selling book, The Binge Cure, Seven Steps to Outsmart Emotional Eating. It is available on Amazon in all formats, including Audible, if you want me to read it to you. Stay curious, not critical. I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina. Each week, she offers valuable insights to stop emotional eating and give steps to lead a joyous life. Tune in next Thursday at 12 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel.